0: Welcome to your mandatory wellness session. I'm one of your instructors, Anoop,
1: and I'm your other host.
0: <laughs> Damn it, Samir.
1: <laughs> you know it's actually it's funny. At the beginning of the last episode, you said host really questioningly, and then I said host more confidently. And this time, you know, you committed, you committed to instructor, but I did not back you up in it at no, all. No, no,
0: it's heaven forbid, heaven forbid.
1: <laughs> and I'm your assistant professor. Yeah. Samir
0: wearing an improv shirt doesn't know the fundamentals of yes and
1: just saying oh that's, that's a good point it's a good point I certainly could have joined in on that yeah how's it going Samir uh, not bad overall things have been pretty fine you know we are uh, we're slowly kind of ramping up on the you know in terms of surgeries and our urology service at our main site which is where I am right now is slowly starting to get to its level of busyness uh, that one normally expects from this site. I, I think starting next week, we're kind of full, full force back in terms of both our cases and having all the residents in and everything like that. And so we'll see, we'll see what happens uh, in terms of this potential second wave and everything that, that might happen with that all up in the air at this point. But you know, I I, I think uh, it's just at the point where it's like surgeries have to be done. And so things are okay right now. So let's kind of see what happens. Not unreasonable, but you know, At this point, I'm not sure anyone really knows for sure what exactly is going to happen.
0: Well, at least with our jobs, there's a very appreciable balance where it's like, you can defer things for only so long before you start detrimenting people's health by deferring their health maintenance. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's the classic. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm urology, right? You can defer someone's vasectomy for like, I mean, who cares? They obviously want to get it, but like, they're not going to die if they don't get it. You can't defer like removing like a kidney mass forever. Like if it's really small, you can might you might be able to defer it for a while. There's a cutoff, you know, and even if it's relatively small but of a reasonable size, you probably should do it. And same thing with someone's prostate cancer or bladder cancer, all these different things, right? And or even even, even non-malignancy, you know, pathologies, you know, like kidney stones, etc. So there are things that do require treatment and we've been straddling that line a little bit of what we treat and when um, but yeah, to your point, at, there there is a point at which waiting more is more of a detriment than the you know increased risk of getting COVID or what have you. So
0: some might argue uh, another kid would have an equally deleterious
1: health effect. On you know, I, I I to be clear, the alternate to getting a vasectomy wasn't having another kid; it was wearing a fucking condom.
0: Well, <laughs> but have you considered condoms are weird?
1: <laughs> Saying.
0: What am um, I quoting? I feel like I'm quoting a uh, No, yeah, I feel like you are quoting something. What, I think it's a Derek comedy video, if I recall. It's the old comedy troupe that uh, Donald Glover used to be a part of. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yes, uh, for all those patients out there who are currently pending vasectomies, uh, we would love to do them. We just think at this point maybe the risks outweigh the benefits. Uh, please continue to use protection. Uh, we are not legally responsible if you have another kid by mistake
0: right right and condoms also help prevent the transmission of covid nobody knows why but there you go
1: no i it is true They 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 did find covid in um in men's semen who i think they like, knew they had covid obviously they weren't like yeah give me your semen <laughs> sir <laughs> um, presumably this is part of some sort of study i honestly didn't read it i read the headline <laughs> it was just somebody
0: <laughs> some guy was like hey i found covid in your semen He's how'd you get my semen
1: He's like, hey, he's like, that's not important. That's not important. But you do have COVID. And yes. you should be socially isolating. That's actually how the rapid test works now. Right, right. It's entirely semen-based. They're like, there were other fluids, I think. No, like, no, 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 no. No, no, there weren't. So you're gonna put that swab where? <laughs> oh man, that's that's really good. Uh, but yeah, so um, long story short semen, I think. We can all agree.
0: <laughs> it's a common trend with you.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, certainly, certainly involved. Well, 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 the real question is, you know, it's like once you get that vasectomy, will there still be COVID in your semen? And the answer is yes, uh, for, for, for without a question. If anything, the vasectomy is going to increase the risk of there being COVID in the semen because of the increased exposure of the healthcare system. So really... We are protecting you. Yeah, exactly. And we're protecting your semen. There's no sperm to outcompete the COVID. (laughs) That's true. The COVID's been running wild. Normally the sperm are in there. They're fucking beating up the COVID left and right. That's how sperm work. And uh, the reason they're like tails as whips. It's the whole thing. I bet there's a lot of dudes out there who would be like, yeah, fuck yeah, they are. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) like Yeah, but my sperm is strong as fuck. (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, wrap it up, I guess, is the... (laughs) Is uh is is today's lesson. Yes, yes. No no glove, no love. You probably <laughs> should
0: wear a mask too. Right, right. <laughs> Hand sanitizer before and after. Right, sure. I mean that but I mean that's that I mean that's just baseline. And I mean maintain a distance of six feet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So really okay. it's only for the impossibly well in doubt <laughs> that this is issue. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, I'm glad we've. You know, it's funny. I think anyone who's listened to our previous podcast would like not be surprised at all with this. But I feel like we've maintained a decorum of like professionalism, a facade, <laughs> up until like this episode, and we're like, that's ah, out the window. That's just gone. If you if you roll back the tapes,
0: one of us mentioned a vasectomy, and I can't be held responsible for what happens and,
1: after that. And to be fair, once again, as a urology resident, everything I've said is within my professional uh, oversight.
0: Exactly.
1: I mean, these these questions would honestly likely come up during a, a routine clinical visit, and I'm simply uh, just discussing that in, in, in a podcast setting. Yeah, and I've so. been dictating everything we say, so
0: I'm covered from a radiology <laughs> <Right>. standpoint. That's <laughs> a very good point, right. Don't so worry. We... It's only in the
1: findings. <laughs> I won't mention any of this in the impression, <laughs> so no one will read it anyways. That is a deep cut. You know, it, it is funny, though. Occasionally... I will. Fi- I mean, obviously the findings will have a lot more details and certainly if I'm like particularly interested, I'll go in there. But occasionally I have found things there that like should be in the impression. And I'm like, you know, most people aren't reading these findings. And yet you buried this in here. And that was certainly a choice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was a choice. I mean, I, I like to make my impression robust. The first thing is always the question they're asking. Everything after that is just stuff that. I'm saying, and you should probably look at, but you're probably not going to. (laughs) I generally dislike when people do a finding slash impression.
1: I'm like, okay, you're just going to say like seven
0: paragraphs worth of stuff.
1: I mean, the the impression is to me like analogous to like the assessment statement after the full HPI. Sure. Right? Like you're trying to just include all the data you have and just give me the deets. Yeah. You know? The HPI is there because when someone wants to look back and get some more info on the patient, you know, it's all in there. But no one's really reading the HPI in normal practice. You know, everyone knows that. You're reading the assessment, you're reading the plan. So just, you know, make sure the info you want is there. What What are your thoughts on the prevalence of the APSO note? So, you know, there's the SOAP note, subjective, objective, assessment and plan. And basically people have come to the realization that no one reads the S and the O. They're mm-hmm. only reading the A and the P. They're like, well, let's just put it first. Apso. And I understand the logic, and I hate it. I hate it so much. The big problem that I have with it is uh, APSO is not a thing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> problem one, you've ruined an amazing acronym for, I mean, ostensibly no reason. Yeah. Just an insane <laughs> thing to do. Second thing, and this I think is also important, I, I understand I wasn't reading the HPI, but you've completely ruined the narrative flow. Yeah. It's like, you've, it's like you're reading a book. And in the beginning of the book, it's just like, here's a spoiler for the last chapter. Enjoy the rest of this book. And I'm like, why would you even do that? Like, if I want to go to the last chapter, it's within my right to do so. But don't just force everyone to. Yeah. It's, a, it's a crazy thing to do.
0: What if it was a sapso? And at the top, they, they wrote spoiler alert. And that, you know. So you can skip that part if you
1: want to read it. Later. I honestly, honestly also just like the acronym SAPSO a lot better. <laughs> it's equally nothing, but I just like it more than APSO. Yeah. SAPSO, Sapso.
0: is the last name of, I want to say, an elementary school teacher. Mrs. SAPSO.
1: <laughs> like, like in the world. I mean, in the world. Probably. Somewhere. <laughs> like, just... I'm sure, honestly, that, it, that is a weird statement to make, but I honestly don't feel confident in saying that's not true. Like, pick a, pick a random name. It probably is. <laughs> I, I just feel I
0: feel very confident that someone's like, man, Mrs. Sapso is so upset that I didn't turn in
1: my arithmetic homework. What are kids doing in elementary school? <laughs> uh, I know what they're definitely not doing. Saying the word arithmetic, ever. He's an incredibly well-spoken. Uh, <laughs> 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 That's why I just also, don't like ar- math. Arithmetic is also one of those words that... I think everyone knows what it refers—not everyone. I think most people know what it refers to, kind of your basic math. But it's also one of those words that I think is like never said. I guess they would just call it math, right? Most people, and then anything more complex would actually get like
0: if you said trigonometry, then
1: right, 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 exactly. I, I think math is well. It's interesting. I think it depends on who you are as a person, right? I think at some point you start doing so much advanced math that it's just math again.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, I did some well, math at it. That's these first eight pages. See, that's the problem with the Apso. That's why it rubs you the wrong way. Is because you like math, and you wouldn't. You you're skipping the work. You're right. saying, ah, Apso, yeah. Here's the answer, and then let me. Uh, the work's there if you want to look at it. No, the work is there first.
1: I will say occasionally when I have a little bit of time, I got a nice little console note, particularly from infectious disease, because sometimes. Some could argue their notes are a little excessive, but frankly, if you ever want to actually know what's going on with a patient, ID notes the way to go. I mean, they just lay that out from like the get go. Every UTI this person's ever had somehow documented in this note. Yeah. And my goodness, I mean, those notes. I mean, the narratives in those notes actually sometimes are just incredible, and I really enjoy the read. Sure. It also makes writing your discharge summary a lot easier.
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, they have the average length of like the two towers, so, so <laughs> there's a balance there.
1: Right. Well, oh, the crazy thing for me is um, when I've consulted derm before, they will—may not often, but with like reasonable frequency—cite literature in their notes, and it's crazy. Interesting choice. Not I, I was what like, I would expect. I, yeah, I was like, "How do you have the time to do this? This is insane." It's like primary literature. And once again, I, I've learned a lot from them, but like also, like, what? <laughs> what? Well, I gotta imagine the person who's
0: holding the derm consult pager might have some free time.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe they're less busy then.
0: <laughs> Would be my hope. I hope right that for them.
1: That's not a right, that's not true. a condemnation. I hope your consult service is chill. <laughs> you know, it's actually it's funny. I, I remember I this is probably sometime earlier this academic year and I consulted a derm on a patient who like honestly, I don't think there was like a ton to do for this. It was like a rash and frankly, I think the answer was just like some like Tram, Sitalin, Cream, or something, whatever. And uh, we consulted a Derm just because like, it wasn't getting better after a couple of days. We are like, let's just consult a Derm. And we consulted a Derm, um, and I was uh, doing some work at the computer nearby, and I overheard the Derm as I'm talking to the Derm attending. They were actually talking about this consult. And uh, they were actually very nice, Like, like, <laughs> which is crazy because I feel like sometimes when I talk about dumb consults, I, get, and I really hope the resident who consulted me didn't hear me because I try to be nice to them, but I'm not always nice when I'm talking about the consult to my co-resident. Um, but they were very nice about it, but you could definitely think you could definitely hear that they thought I was pretty fucking dumb. But they were like but then I, I was like, oh by the way, hey, sorry, hi, I'm urology and they're like, Oh, yeah, great. Um, you know, this is what we saw, you know, like it can be tricky sometimes like I was like, you think I'm so fucking yeah. <laughs> But they were actually super nice. They're right they're, they're, they're very, very nice about it. Oh man. I feel like we had a we had an original topic prior to getting onto our vasectomy uh, tangent. I just asked you how you were doing <laughs> <laughs> you also might be right. How are how are, <laughs> Fifteen minutes later, uh, how are how are you doing? Oop,
0: that's fine. <laughs> Living life. No, uh, we're also ramping back up. So for the last few weeks, we've been doing two hours of lecture a day. We've gone back to one. There's just more cases on the list to read, so less time to do teaching. Sure. Essentially. Still just radiology. Still just living that life. I start call in like three weeks, which is uh, varying shades of mortifying. That'll be
1: interesting. So like basically like primary like diagnostic radiology call. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you're you're just the only person there, and that's crazy. Yeah, some of the numbers I've heard for like busy days. So our our night call is in-house from 5 p.m. So you work the day, right? Then you're mm-hmm. in-house from 5 p.m. to about midnight, and then okay. it's home call for the rest of the night, pretty much if there's like a floral case that needs to be done. Relatively rare Intussusceptions really the only thing that knocks sure. you over into needing to get done. Our weekend call is 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. There's attendings around in the morning, Just for a little while to like clear out cases, but then they're gone for the rest of the afternoon. Wait, so
1: sorry to clarify. So when you said it's 5 p.m. to midnight, then you said it's home call. Wait, so what is this is like a procedural call? Well, it's a diagnostic radiology call, but fluoro
0: is the procedure that
1: diagnostic radiology does. Oh, sure. I I guess what I'm confused by is when you say like home call, so you're just like. You get to go home and
0: sleep and radiology will cover any scans that need to be read. So uh, you're a home call for procedures. Yes.
1: Got gotcha. you. I was really confused. I was like, because I mean, scans get done with like reasonable frequency. So like you would just be awake the whole night at home.
0: Yeah. Ex- if you were reading, yes. But uh, tele-radiology <laughs> okay. will cover after because it's generally less. Much more sense. All right. It's only the acute stuff that they read. So anything like an MR, which does happen at night, inpatient MR. It's great to do it at night because you know you're
1: not going to have any competition. Yeah, I do that routinely. You 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 order it stat at noon and it gets done at midnight. Perfect. Yeah, that's how it gets done. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you know, with imaging, stat is like a relative concept. Okay, basically, this is and and you tell me how you feel about this. This is how I think of imaging. Anything that is actually like genuinely like stat, it is you know things like a CTPE or like a CT abdomen pelvis where we think someone's like something bad is going on. CTP sort of is by default, but for all these things, I'm calling down specifically and explaining to the person, being like, this is like an emergency. This needs to be done like now. Yeah. And then things normally get done. Anything that I'm like, if this gets done sometime in the next two days, I order as routine. Anything else is stat. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's one way to do it. Because basically, the problem is, what happened to me is I've ordered... I did this in here a couple times, and I was basically like, please stop doing this. (laughs) Which is that I would order a CT that was like, it has to be done by the end of the day. And I'd order it at like 11 p.m. Or sorry, 11 a.m. And I'd order a routine. And then it would be like 8 p.m. and it hadn't been done yet. And then my chief would be like, why the fuck is the order routine? And I was like, I'm sorry, it's August. What?
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. So if it's end of the day, I would say probably order it's that... You know, that that just makes sense because you're uh, – fundamentally, end of the day means I need to make a clinical decision based on this. Right. Within the yes. day, right? That's, I, I, that's,
1: that's basically what I mean. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Routine means that, like, this patient is roughly stable and I will make in- clinical decisions based on this imaging. But, like, if I have that clinical decision today or tomorrow or the day after that – doesn't really change yes like they'll, they'll still be here and they'll still be and here
1: that's somewhere. what i use the routine for basically right exactly right. so if it's like if it happens sometime in the next like two days you know basically today or tomorrow as right. a routine but if i need to be done by today i'll do a stat
0: and then stat means different things different places right like right there are certain things where if i'm uploading something i always give it a protocol of like stat because i'm doing it right now so i need it uploaded right now Now, technically, I could stop reading this study, go read something else, and then wait for it to get uploaded and start this again. But that's just, like, inefficient workflow. (laughs) So get it up right now. Right. Um, But that's different. Yeah. Yeah. But suffice it to say, Call is very busy, and the numbers that you read, particularly on the weekends, are, like, insanely high, from what I've heard. It is semi a feature of our residency that we have very high volumes, but...
1: Well I'm sure, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, very yeah. high volumes have a
1: consequence. <laughs> so I guess my question from a general sort of logistical standpoint. So it's a weekend, you're on call, you are um basically a a late late in the year, but still a first year radiology resident. Presumably there is some backup, right? For a scan where you're like, ah, oh, what's happening? This is crazy. Like what something's going on? I need someone to look at this.
0: Well, ideally, no. Ideally, if it's anything acute, you should probably know how to read it by now. So if anything that actually needs to get done right now and requires an imaging expertise, you should know how to do it. Okay. Right now. If it's like, oh, I don't know how to characterize this hepatic lesion, say something, it probably won't matter, and then they'll addend the report.
1: (laughs) Okay, okay, so I, I... I'll phrase I guess, differently. So I, I think there are times, I'll say from the surgery standpoint, where it's like someone is clinically stable, but there is something enough concerning about their, like, objective data that you're like, this scan could tip us one or the other for, like, OR or not OR. Sure. There is an escalation. Yeah.
0: So there's people you can call. Almost all the attendings have home workstations. So you give them a call, you let them know the situation, and they can help you out obviously much more acceptable from 5 p.m to 10 p.m right yeah and then after that it becomes a little bit trickier
1: <laughs> i think to your point though i think it's probably very it sounds like it'll be a relatively rare situation where all those things sort of accumulate where you're like i don't exactly automate the call here but making it one, one way or the other is going to be like a huge deal versus like this is a more obvious call like yep there's a perf you know like so i i, I think um yeah, I, I think probably maybe it doesn't come up as as often as...
0: Yeah, you'd be surprised. It's, like, pretty rare that there is this thing. And and you can, you can hedge, that's the wrong way to do it. Or you can just open up that patient's chart and, like, just read what they're saying about them. And if you're like, this could be a perf, this could not be a perf, and you see they look stone cold clinically normal, you can probably lean on the side of saying, this is not a perf. Or you can say you can't rule out a perf and make a useless report, but technically accurate.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I mean to your point, I mean there, but there. On the other hand, there is. If you don't have enough data from the imaging to genuinely say with one hundred percent confidence that it's not a perf, obviously you can never really say anything with one hundred percent. But you can. There is at least some reasonable level of doubt. I mean, I think it is probably more responsible to say cannot rule out a perf, um, even if it is more annoying to read. Right.
0: Right, so it's tricky. And the dangerous thing on call is if you make, if you say something, you are the only person who is around, so you will be, if they have a question about your report, they're going to call you. So you have to generate
1: a report that doesn't generate a phone call, because that's going to waste your time. (laughs) Sure, yeah, and I mean, I will say, having been on overnight, not always the case. I'm reading this, I'm like, interesting. Interesting. This requires me talking to them because my attending will be like, did you talk to them (laughs) as soon as I tell them what it said?
0: Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And
1: some people know how to do
0: that. Some people don't know how to do that. There's a a specificity to your language and then there's knowing what they're asking. Two skills that no one, well, the language thing you do learn, you should learn. Whether or not you do is up to you. But um, knowing what question a person is asking is more difficult than it seems. And it is a lesson you can get away with not learning and you will be a worse radiologist for it. <laughs> and it's more so like, you know, consults, whatever. Because consults, you have to, you will interact with the primary team in some way, shape, or form, right? So the actual, like, body of that consult isn't super important. You know, I'll I'll say it a thousand times again. The history you put into an imaging report is important.
1: Well, I, I, I'm i not sure if you said it or someone else I know said who's in radiology, but... You know, if you think of getting imaging like consulting radiology, then it's like, oh, I should give them a question.
0: Right, right. <laughs> I think that was actually uh, Barack Obama said that.
1: <laughs> okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Which is weird because it, it, it was apropos of nothing. <laughs> well, I, I, I think it was when he won the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. <laughs> he said, if you're going to get imaging on a patient, it's as if you're consulting radiology. So make sure you give a valid clinical question. And they were like... Okay, well, I guess that's a good enough reason to give you a Nobel Peace Prize at this point in your term. So,
0: here you go. Like, I mean, prior to his term, right? Like, it was was pretty damn early. It was, like, early 09. It
1: was
0: was just like, we're really jazzed about this guy. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. Anyway, certainly, Uh, certainly a choice. What a time. What a time. Remember back then when you could, like, go outside and see people? I do, I I do not recall. <laughs> Remember the before times? <laughs> the then? <laughs> oh no, we're in a we're
1: in a YA dystopian novel. Fuck. Exactly. <laughs> Anyways, let's fight to the death. <laughs> um well, switching back slightly, I think we have actually actually I think somewhat accidentally stumbled basically across our, our topic for today um in discussing your call. And and our topic uh, is going to be about autonomy in residency training and how that influences wellness. Um, so really convenient, actually, <laughs> that we were basically discussing... Let's you know, just
0: say it was on purpose.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Perfect. Wow, we're it like says really, it
0: right here in the script,
1: severe Wow, we're like really good at podcasting. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, these episodes are fully scripted. I don't know if anybody
1: did, didn't know that. Yeah, honestly, I, I want to emphasize that they're not, because that certainly casts a worse light on our entire semen discussion from earlier. <laughs> well, you know, the writer's room, they generate... What they generate—it's <laughs> true. We are—we are—we are simply the minions yes. who execute their vision. Anyway. Yeah.
0: Frankly, I find the material a little blue, but whatever.
1: Hey, that's what the people want. Yeah. <laughs> so a noob. Obviously, we we're kind of just discussing it. I'm curious, from a radiology perspective, how do you feel like that? One that autonomy has changed over time, right? So for radiology, your first year, you're in medicine, so like not really relevant to becoming a radiologist, although it certainly gives you some underpinning of like being a doctor. Um, but now, I mean, you're, you're toward the end, toward the completion of your first full year being a radiology resident and kind of actively reading scans all the time, et cetera. Um, and I'm curious how that change in autonomy over the year has felt, um, if that step up has felt reasonable, uh, and how you would make it different, if any, if any way at all. I
0: think without fail, and this, this is not a novel observation, right? autonomy will increase the amount you learn from any given scenario i i don't think that's a particularly
1: groundbreaking observation I, I i will say one caveat which is that i think if autonomy goes totally out of control the amount of learning can decrease because you're not getting any supervision and then like so then you're like Leading, you're going totally blind, which is one not safe, but two. I must there that helps learning per se.
0: Right. I want to tie this back in the comparison. Thank you for mentioning that. It works perfectly with what we were talking last week, which is the example of the family medicine resident who's managing event for the first time with no supervision because they're taking care of COVID patients. Now, technically, that is a lot of autonomy. <laughs> Ton of autonomy. <laughs> Make the decisions, bro. Like if. If if autonomy had
1: a brochure, that would be the, like, right right. the front page.
0: But I think obviously not an example of physician wellness, not an example of resident wellness. Uh, so what what went wrong there? And and I suppose this takes me back to sort of the the baseline of this discussion. Why I wanted to have it. It'll kind of be what we talk about for the next few weeks. Theoretically, is I, I want to define the language with which we talk about medical wellness, right? And I I come from a listical generation. So my first thought is like, these X number of things are medical wellness. And I thought I'd just steal a thing that we already have in medicine. So it's the four principles of medical ethics, biomedical sure. ethics, you know, autonomy being one, beneficence, non-malfeasance, and justice. So these are the things that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Uh, autonomy is the most obvious one, right? It's... Your free will, your ability to make a decision. In the case of medical ethics, the the case example of autonomy is informed consent, right? Can you give your... You have to explain a procedure to a patient, give them enough information that they can make an informed decision about the procedure, right? Now, you always know they're never going to know as much as you do as the physician performing the procedure. So you need to get them from a place where they are at zero to wherever they need to be to make a decision. In the case of our COVID, family medicine resident taking care of a COVID patient, right? We could say that's a failure of informed consent right there. They have to go do it. It's compulsory. They're a resident taking care of this patient. If they don't try, the patient will die and it will be due to their negligence. But they do not have the information with which to manage this patient. They can't make an informed decision about their medical decisions. And if you were a patient making a decision about your health that would be an incredibly stressful situation. It's the exact same thing for a resident, right? If you're not informed about the care that you're providing, you are going to be stressed out and unable to perform a good job, right? So the balance there is saying, how much do I teach you beforehand to increase your autonomy without spending so long teaching you that I never give you a chance to actually make a decision on your own, right? I think the perfect area for this it's like this discussion fully encapsulated in, in, in surgical residency.
1: Of course. Yeah, right. That, that is the, like classic example of where it comes up, right? Because at the, at the end of the day, it is a technical skill like woodworking or plumbing or being a mechanic. The difference, of course, is your, uh, your work is on a human being. But fundamentally, you have to do the work to gain the skills. You can't learn to do surgery from a textbook. You can learn the steps of surgery from a textbook, but you can't learn to do surgery from, from a textbook. And so, of course, that, this, is like, this, this is like the thing that is discussed a lot in surgical training.
0: Right, right. I often hear, this is a criticism I've had, I've heard about duty hour restrictions, right? Which is that you cannot teach everything a surgical resident needs to be taught if you impose duty hour restrictions. And that statement is purely and simply a failure of creativity and a failure to even attempt to be an educator. I'm going to come out hard-line against that. I think
1: <laughs> No, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it, I it's just
0: like you can't tell me, oh, inhuman working conditions are integral to a surgical education.
1: You know, it, it's, it's really interesting, actually, you say this, because I, I was just reading an article about this. It's on the FACTS website, which like the, the fellow, uh, being a fellow of the American College of Surgeons. And, uh, and they're actually talking about, when you look at kind of a historical perspective, looking at the sort of the residency training, which is like the Halsteadian model, which, you know, quick tangent about that, William Halstead, the guy who was addicted to cocaine and thus had residents work his hours because he was on cocaine. And I think we've continued to this day because that seems reasonable. Um, Doing cocaine. Uh, <laughs> right. I, sorry, was, was I? i right? I'm, yeah, cocaine. For sure, cocaine. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, right. So we've, we've continued those hours and that is um, kind of its own separate thing. But when they look back, obviously there's the same level of reporting and everything like that. But when they do their best to characterize the level of burnout and depression and all this kind of stuff, it does not seem to have been as common back then, which is interesting. And the thought is like, why would that really be the case? Fundamentally, you'd think I mean obviously if people are doing those crazy hours and the insane things they did you would think it should be worse if anything or certainly as bad and you know know, is it that people are like more sensitive now or like what have you and a lot of the discussion comes down to what they were doing was at least still fundamentally things that were beneficial for their training and education whereas a lot of what we do now is not. Now I think there are certainly issues with that, which is to say, right, we've talked about this before, classic, like, survivorship bias issues, right, where it's like, you don't necessarily capture everybody who just, like, left because they couldn't deal with the insanity. But I think the fundamental point is that, you know, beyond just the hours, about what you do during the hours, which I think is probably the point you're getting getting at.
0: Right, right. It's that simply doing the work is not a function of your autonomy, right? For example, let's take the medicine internship that you mentioned earlier, Right. I spent all day doing stuff. I was very busy as a medical (laughs) intern. There's a lot of scorn in that word. (laughs) I I did things. However, the number of those things that were actually beneficial or felt like I was providing any sort of positive clinical effect were very low. Especially to start, right? You mostly spend your time, you know, generating notes going to have like a half conversation with a patient then you go report about the conversation somebody else makes the decisions based on that and then you do whatever they say and if the worst part is once you start to have ideas of your own they're either wrong which is fair or they're just entirely disregarded because the supposition is that they're still probably wrong right sure and all of those while are they're all done on on your own volition are not a function of your autonomy right right Because you you've you are not making an informed decision about a thing like you're just doing the thing that you absolutely have to do right for surgical residents, you know, many surgical residency programs have entire months where you're on the floor, and you're pretty much just there to be a pulse that has a pager, right? You just need to be a living entity that can answer pages. (laughs)
1: And execute orders and put in notes and everything like that. I mean, right. a, a, a lot of intern years, a classic, a lot of a surgical intern year is doing that. Sure. Now, there is genuine learning that takes place. We talk about the distinguishing between sick versus not sick and just the general being able to manage a post-op course. Totally legitimate. And I, I, I think that it, there is actual, I mean, for sure, important learning happened during my intern year. Did it need to happen for... All the twelve months that way, perhaps not. Perhaps I could have been in the OR more. I certainly got to the OR depending on the rotation, but there certainly were rotations where I like wasn't really in the OR. And what I, and a lot of things I was doing was like following up social work. You know, so it's like some things were very useful, other things were less useful, but they're all mixed together. It's very hard to pick pick out the pieces easily.
0: And actually, social work is one of those things that I, I, I I'm glad you brought it up because. My institution was actually very good at managing social work. So we had very competent social workers who took care of that stuff. And so it was as easy as just asking them, hey, can you deal with this? And and they would. A good social worker. Mm. Worth their weight in gold. Now, that is not a thing that my attending chose or my senior resident chose or I chose. That is just a function of the institution. However, it drastically increased my wellness drastically increased my learning and i would argue drastically increased my autonomy because i spent less time doing things that i didn't want to do right so then if as say a radiology prelim i decide you know i should probably look at all these patients imaging like if i'm taking care of this patient i should look at their imaging because i'm a radiology prelim right i had some amount of time to actually do that for the medicine interns you could spend time looking at differentials and actually learning stuff so that the next time you got that patient You weren't thinking about, well, the last time I had a patient like this, I had to call their grandma and then call their living nursing home. I don't know why. it's 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 their grandma's still alive, but they do live in a good living home. I lost the narrative real quick. (laughs) Guys.
1: God. The point being. She and her grandmother are roommates in a nursing home. It's great.
0: It's Perfect. Very close together in age, so it's a lot. It was a different time, Zavir. God, get off my bed. Everyone was on cocaine. <laughs> yeah, different time. The point being that autonomy is not as simple as putting the resident's hands on the scalpel. Right, that's the most obvious example of it, and it's definitely, it's definitely valuable. Right, no, no amount of book reading, as you said before, will teach you what it feels like. To, like, cut through something, or to dissect something, or to to, to the tactile sensation of it all. It, it can't be conveyed in any other way besides actually doing it. Right. And, and to manage a mistake, you can know how to do that ahead of time. You can know how to run a code ahead of time. But yeah. actually doing it in a code situation is entirely different. I'm not claiming that you can replace that stuff, but... If you're claiming it's so valuable that I directly contribute to all of those things, then we need to cut out the things where I'm not contributing to those things. Right. Because if I'm calling eight different patients' family to update them because no one else in the world will, I'm probably not going to be there when that code happens. Right. I'll probably, I'll get there just in time to then call the family to tell them that the code happened. Oof. Right. <laughs> Which is rough. Yeah. So now I've learned nothing. I've learned about the code only after the fact. Only to be told about it in lore and legend. <laughs> never never to have been there. And same thing with the OR, right? You you are, if you're not in the OR, you are essentially just past a patient. who's. It's all surgical history at that point in time. Right. Admittedly, a very
1: recent surgical history, but it's just sure, surgical but no, history. I, but, but it's true, right? I mean, I think when you are in cases and you have that ownership of the patient their post-op course hits a little differently it does i mean you care about all the patients who are under uh you know under your supervision under your care but it's just different when you were when you were heavily involved in it you're like watching things like with a different eye like you know it's, it's, it's just a little different it's just a little different it's the same way that you know an attending who is covering another attending's patients while of course they're paying very close attention their prob their level of detail orientedness is probably going to be a little lower than their own patients. It's just I think it's just a human instinct. It's hard to it's hard to get around that.
0: Right, and it's a matter of information. Right, it is entirely different to be told something happened than to know to have been there when it happened. Right, you can only ever get the gestalt. Like I can tell you something was. Severe, mild, moderate, and you may have an understanding of what a severe, mild, or moderate. But had you been there, you would have had your actual understanding of that.
1: There's actually a really good point around this, and I mean, we're probably a little off topic here, but the idea that when there's a surgical complication, um, or, or I, I should say, when there's a post-op complication that may require, let's say, going back to the OR. Obviously, the person who gets called is the attending on call. But like the general principle, unless there's like a reason not to, is that you generally call the operating surgeon. You may not as the the resident, but the attending on call will call their colleague and be like, hey, your patient is going back because of X, Y, Z. And one, it's a courtesy. But two, and this is actually really important, is that they may know something about what happened in the operation that they didn't really convey to anybody, but it's like a hard thing to convey. Which is like, yeah, when we were doing this anastomosis, like it came together well, but like it took a couple of tries to get it to come together, and like you don't like dictate that in an op note,
0: right? Because what would that even mean? Right, you don't
1: note? you you don't dictate like this that sort of granularity, but like you just know things about the operation. It's sort of like sometimes you'll tell an attending something about a patient that to you seems like okay, and they react like get a repeat CVC and like a CT scan. And you're like, what the fuck? Why? And it's because something they are, they're thinking about something that you cannot possibly be thinking of because they, they did the surgery and what you told them is like making them very nervous.
0: Right. Right.
1: And, it, and it's not that you're not picking it up. It's that you just don't have the knowledge to do so. Right. And so that's, that, that sort of ownership is really important. It's how you learn, it's how you develop that clinical acumen as well.
0: And, and it's balance. It's a balance, right? So, Obviously, had you just been, let's say in that scenario, right? You tell an attending something, they see it as a red flag and they act on it, right? Had you been solely responsible for the patient, you would not have reacted to that thing, right? Because you didn't have that. You weren't there. You didn't know about it, right? That's the whole challenge is finding the balance between a resident's autonomy and actual clinical care. And I won't claim to be able to solve that in a 40-minute in a podcast, much of which was dedicated to talking about vasectomies. <laughs> what I'll say is, if you're thinking about it from a wellness perspective, you have to ask yourself, what are the things outside of the medical education, which is a, a nuanced discussion in and of itself, what are the things outside of that that I can be doing to increase their investment in that thing? in dealing with the complicated process of going from some guy who's heard about medicine to a guy who is a surgeon, right?
1: Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And And, and
0: when we talk about things like social work or we talk about things like charting, charting. Yeah. Do they have lessons that are valuable? Yes. That's, I'm not saying that like you, you should be able to be able to chart well. You should learn that. Social work-wise, you should learn how to be an empathetic human being and talk to your And, patient. like,
1: understand what goes into, like, the complexities of, uh, like, medical care that go beyond, like, here's a medication. Totally. Right. You should learn that. However, the, the dedication
0: between the two, it seems like you spent far too much time on, on the other sort of decorations and less right. time on, like, the actual stuff you came here to learn. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I think that, yeah, exactly. That is very much that balance. And so I'll, I guess I'll bring back to the question I asked you initially, which is looking at it from a slightly different perspective, right? So this is kind of the surgical standpoint. And I can certainly talk about this more, but I'm, I'm curious from your perspective as a radiology resident, where you don't have that same type of direct patient care, still a little different, but obviously you are doing things like that are vitally important, right? You're reading over scans and obviously there's always kind of an attending overread on scans. It's like, here's a final read being like, you know, A, B, or C. And the nice thing is that the experience isn't destroyed by doing it once. An infinite number of people can read the same scan and they all have the same benefit from it. And so I'm curious when you're comparing your medicine year, obviously as an intern, so it's a little different, to your radiology year so far, and I can try to add my surgical perspective. I guess, how do you feel like that flexibility um, changes the way autonomy is viewed? And how do you feel like that graduation of autonomy is th- throughout or or has been throughout this past year
0: so for radiology in particular there's, there's a few functions of autonomy in radiology because it's not quite as cut and dry as medicine and surgery right there's there's the cases you choose to read right and this not be, might not be the case in every radiology program but most of the time there is a list and there will be multiple people working on that list at any given time right And as a resident, you can choose to read the thing you're already comfortable reading. Hmm. Or you can choose to try and read something new, right? Now, the balance there is, one, just because you think you're comfortable reading something does not necessarily mean that you are actually comfortable reading it. Yes. And all it takes is one case that's, like, batshit insane. And you're like, oh, fuck, I'm full of shit. I need to keep working on these things, right? That's
1: a very common experience in residency, I think.
0: Unfortunately... Much like uh, if you were picking up an admit in the ED or picking up a new console, you have no fucking idea what's in that study until you open it up, right? right. Uh, yeah, shortness of breath.
1: Okay, cool. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, turns out it means COVID. It, yeah. it, it does, it does yeah. mean Well, it
0: right helped. now, if I'm flipping that particular coin, yeah, I'm going to say it's COVID. <laughs> uh, turns out both sides of the coin are COVID.
1: Right, right. It's a, um, Yeah, Harvey, Harvey Dent made the coin. <laughs>
0: yes, yes. So that's part of it, right? The cases you choose to take. And you could tailor your education based on the cases you choose to take. The other thing is there are rotations where, and institutions where, the resident read goes up for a period of time. And clinical decisions can be made on that resident read, right? Not always the case.
1: I, I will say that is how it works at my institution. Insofar as it says in capital letters at the top, preliminary read and i think at the bottom as well and we're all aware of that and attendings are aware of it but i mean even still yeah exactly that even still right
0: and what i'll say is invariably i am nervous when i see something that's very positive positive, or maybe intermittently positive and i need to generate a report and i'm like do i make this call and know that it will get read by an attending at some point in time but i don't necessarily know exactly when that'll be done. Mm. Now I could then just make if I'm really uncomfortable, I can make the call and say, "Hey, look at this right now." Sure. Or moreover, not sign the report, make the call and say like, "Hey, can I run this by you before I send out the report?" Making calls is valuable in and of itself. Making the call and making the call and being wrong is valuable because you'll remember that lesson for the rest of your life, right? Mm-hmm. And and finding the situations where you can be wrong safely are great like anytime you can be wrong safely so if it's like overnight stuff and you know all the clinical decisions for those images have already been made so just like make some fucking calls on the image because nobody who's gonna read it the intern in the morning the decision's already been made nobody cares right so like make your calls be wrong and have somebody tell you like hey this is the way in which you were wrong right instead of playing it safe Especially as, an inter- or as, a, as a resident, like hedging, I know that's the, the name of the game in radiology, unfortunately, in a lot of places. But hedging has no value as a student. No value. Because if you hedge, your attending doesn't know if you didn't know it or if you were just playing like zone D. Like they don't know. <laughs> if you're just being defensive, they, they're like, oh, great report. Good. Moving on. If you make a call and you're wrong, they'll teach you. And the supposition is that, like, yeah, you suck, you're you're a first year radiology intern.
1: Right. No, no, that, that's that's a really good point. I didn't think about that. The way it's interpreted, is it interpreted as an intentional choice or like a I'm not sure choice? So tying that back to autonomy,
0: it's to say there's a choice in which in the way you express yourself, and the way you take your cases, and the way you ask questions, and the way you pursue different things, like I had the option during this COVID thing to spend a month off, doing research, ostensibly, and I chose not to because I I know myself and I was like I'm not gonna do anything valuable with that time. Maybe I'll generate a research project. I can do that. I chose to instead just do a radiology rotation because I'm like I'm gonna learn something. I'm gonna yes, there'll be lower volume, but like I'd rather just spend the time learning something, and doing it. Than faffing about doing nothing. And obviously, this is a very specific scenario. You know, COVIDs don't come out around very often, hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Who
1: knows? Yeah, no, I I mean, it's true, right? I think what's important as well is your level of engagement as a resident, right? To that point. Uh, and, and, And a thing that I think surgical residents hear quite a bit from attendings. Is that, you know, basically the more you're able to do, the more prepared you seem, the more you'll get to do. Sometimes that isn't always the best because, you know, maybe early in the case you're nervous, you kind of fumble around some sutures, you look like an idiot. But like it's not that you don't know what you're doing, it's just like you're nervous. And it's like you should still get to do stuff once you like kind of just like get your legs under you a little bit. But setting that aspect aside, the idea being that if you are prepared, if you seem like you have an understanding of the steps of the operation, you kind of see where things are going, you're sort of reacting appropriately, you're getting the right instruments, all that kind of stuff, then you'll get to do more. And I say this as a junior resident, that kind of stuff is hard to do for a lot of reasons, right? Like one, on one hand, when you're doing these, like for example, larger cases, you know, you can read about it, but if you haven't seen the case before, if you've only seen it a couple times, or the last time you saw it was like three months ago, it's hard to maintain that sort of uh, continuity of education and then the things of like the confidence in the OR to like ask for the instrument and then like if you're wrong you kind of look like a dumbass is also like a thing as well and so I think all those sort of things are things you build with time but they all factor into the way your autonomy is shaped over time I mean certainly I'll say for my program I think people graduate the program feeling like well trained and you know I think a good measure of that is the people who do fellowship versus not doing fellowship. I think we tend to have a reasonable mix, but I think we have a lot of people who go into private practice because they feel, you know, well-trained coming out of residency. But even still, as a junior resident, I have that like that just deep fear of like you watch your senior resident or attending do this big case and you're like, how the fuck am I ever going to do that independently and in like three years, no less. And it's 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 frightening. It's it's a really it's a frightening thing I can imagine as an attending it's also frightening to to an extent to have this young resident who is, you know, obviously capable, trying hard, but still fundamentally doesn't have the level of knowledge or experience to to always be making the right decisions.
0: Steep man. <laughs> <It's deep. laughs> Unfortunately, As we hit the end of this podcast, what's the take-home message?
1: So, I mean, I think when looking at this entire discussion on autonomy, I think our take-home message is a lot of what we have discussed to this point, uh, which is basically that in residency training, you are fundamentally learning a skill that you'll have to do independently in really a, a short amount of time. At the end of the day, even the longest residency is still a relatively short amount of time. Uh, And you're doing it on real people who have real lives. And every patient you interact with, um, that is the balance that has to be struck between learning, maximizing learning while keeping patients safe. But on the flip side, there also is the aspect that study after study seems to find that autonomy seems to correlate with resident wellness. Feeling like you're not being micromanaged, feeling like you're being allowed to grow as a person and feeling like your attendings fundamentally trust you that they have confidence in you is so vital to not feeling burnt out. I'll speak from the surgical standpoint. I think generations of surgical residents have said this. Yeah, today was a really long day, but like at least I got to do something. Like that is such a common feeling. A 10-hour day where you do fuck all sucks. And a 17-hour day where you get to like really operate. Yeah, you're tired, but it feels really cool at the end of the day. And that, and that's what matters, right? I mean, that's, you know, on paper, who would choose a 17-hour day? But honestly, sometimes you would. And I think a lot of that comes back to autonomy.
0: So I 100% agree. No one ever wants to feel like their time is being wasted. And there are certain things that have to get done. I'm not blind to the plights of the fact that this is like a job and things <laughs> need to be done that we technically get paid for. Right in an amount that is vaguely commiserate <laughs> to the amount of work we do. Not really. Um, besides the point. There is, there are the things that must be done and that somebody has to do. them, Right. And very often it falls on to the lowest of us, right. Our junior residents, our interns our whoever's the lowest on the, the the totem pole. right? And, They have no choice in the matter. They have no autonomy in the matter. And to have spent the example 10-hour day doing the things that, yes, have to be done, but doing the things that have to be done that you're only doing because they have to be done for no other reason than that is incredibly demoralizing. And to do it over the course of a year is going to have an effect on a person (laughs) going to have an effect on their well-being that is longer lasting than just that year right it's not that oh well now i get to do what i want to do so i feel better about it there is a certain bitterness that sets in on people and that you see it after intern year people are different after intern year and is it just intern year no i mean Senior years have that effect as well. You know, there's hard years later on in surgical residency, for example. For radiology, for example, it's really the first year because you don't take call is kind of less stressful. But then you get to that second year where you are taking call and it changes very drastically. It's not just about being the lowest rung on the ladder. It's about your time and how it's valued and how much choice do you get in the way you spend your time. It's not to say that I don't want to work a 17-hour day, but if you're if I'm going to work a 17-hour day, I should leave feeling as though I did something that day. Yeah. Anyways, I I, I hate to keep saying this, but I know the numbers are lower than the number of names on the sheet, so sign the fucking attendance
1: <laughs> sheet. <laughs> also please stop signing um for your friends like i mean we we don't want to be like narcs about it but like i mean come on we we can tell it's the same handwriting and they're like consecutive for like four in a row i mean it's come on it's just silly yeah this is mandatory
0: i can't stress that
1: enough you <laughs> <We> cannot stress <laughs> you it enough you have to be here it's real it's required it's been, I, I mean i don't know do we need more synonyms for mandatory i don't understand <laughs> it's just like weird because you know you would think this would be like People treat this
0: like it's, I don't know, like a semi-improvised sort of random string of nonsense. But it's not. This is an incredibly well-constructed, highly scripted wellness session. Right. That you have to be here for. Yeah. i would say you have no choice in the matter. If, uh, it's, if there was a word for not having any freedom, like, <laughs> I, I wish I could say that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, guys. Thank you for listening. As always, our theme song is Nothing Slash Anything by Westy Reflector.
1: Uh, you can follow us uh, on Instagram at MWS Podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook uh, by searching Mandatory Wellness Session. Uh, we have a website as well uh, with links found on our Instagram and Facebook. And please subscribe. Thanks for listening. This has been a Mandatory Wellness Session.